was uh, it, the it's it's no it's it's still called lots of pasta but we don't read any stories nothing about it is scary nor pasta related and all we're doing is talking about investing in uh whatever the new doggy coin is <laughs> at the point um specifically not bitcoin because we have to go against the grain <laughs> we can't be we can't ever support uh, what other people support. We need to memify our entire existence for the rest of time and space. Well, so Bitcoin and like other uh, cryptocurrencies were born out of like their value is processing powder, like power, like computing processing powder to power. So they were born out of this like desire to have more people lending their PCs to to those kind of tasks. In seven years, the new cryptocurrency is going to be like just like bread. If you have a slice of bread, then you have a slice of bread coin. And then, and then <laughs> bread can, coin. And, and that's the only thing that's valuable anymore. <laughs> well, and then there will be like a drop of water and you'll have water coin. There's going to be a water coin, yeah. <laughs> and then there will be like uh here's like a tile and it'll be like tile coin and you'll have to buy a bunch of tiles to like tile your house. You know, you'll have to you have to buy stick coin yep. to like b- be able to build a shack. Uh, it's the apocalypse, by the way. Yeah, no, <laughs> obviously, yeah. <laughs> Rations. Uh, so there's food coin. There's food coin. Food coin. A Zombie. lot like bread coin. Zombo coin. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. No, so uh, you know, in as little as forty years, we could be looking at a completely inhospitable atmosphere, um, for for the entire world. Basically, um, people thought wearing masks because of coughing on each other was bad. Wait until you need to start wearing masks because you can't breathe <laughs> the actual oxygen in our system. Right. And so it's going to be a going to be a good time. It's going to be a good ride. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the that's the I don't know if we ever talked about this on the podcast or otherwise. That's I don't the I don't know what we talk about. anymore. I don't know that we've talked about anything. That's <laughs> <don't>, the theory. <laughs> This is a podcast where we don't talk about <laughs> don't. anything. All of my episodes are silent. It's like Cam Cove. I, I don't know if we've said this before, but there's a theory that the reason why there aren't aliens or we don't know there's aliens is mm-hmm. because there's a great filter. And I think there totally is. And I think it's people being fucking stupid. And we're about to be so stupid that we become non-aliens. Like, uh. like we've missed everybody else. Because in this short time that we've been here, like the tens of thousands of, of years right. that humanity has been on this planet... Everyone else was either not there yet or life became too evolved and consequently too stupid and they poisoned themselves. And then that's our fate. Society well. crumbles. Yeah. It's, you, you look at like the the actual history of these fictional like nations, like when you when you analyze something like the um what are they called? Like the protos 
in like Halo or like the uh, right. what's the other race in Mass Effect where they say like this they made the relays and then and then and the then Reapers destroyed the entire universe. And, oh my god, how they disappear. They fucking built giant machines that spewed bullshit. In well, so did Halo. Halo, right. they built an entire system to destroy all of living organic matter. Right. They wanted that's to destroy good. the flood, but they just destroyed the Yeah, so they life. got too pig-headed and they killed yeah. themselves. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much... We, yeah. That's no, it. We've been, at that, we've been at that level since Cold War times, I'd say. Like, yeah. uh, the, the ability to completely destroy ourselves as a human race... Uh, and and stupidly might do it, mm-hmm. except now it's like we're looking at the loaded gun in our faces and we're saying this is fine, you know, right. a lot like that that dog meme where he's sitting in the house on fire. This is fine, and uh, yeah, I I I always liked to think that the reason, and it's funny because this isn't an alien episode. I would love to have you on an alien episode at some point, but um, uh, my argument for why. Uh, aliens have never, like, made themselves known, mm-hmm. or, like, you know, we've never had that big contact moment, the the, the encounter, you know? Right. Is because um, we just... I, I think it's because we consume things. We are... We are animals. We are beasts. We we entirely raise things just to slaughter them and consume them. We we even raise the entire ocean and ruin the entire ocean's ecosystem just to pick up all the fish, eat them and kill them. Like we are we are meat bags that consume meat and nothing is more like retarded than that concept. So you look at these like totally evolved absolutely perfect creatures who are probably like synthetic at you know to some level where they like consume energy maybe and and you know you think about like tall grays or even like the uh the the nordic like whites like the idea of uh these like high class extraterrestrial beings they probably look at us like animals <laughs> and they say like holy shit, if we go down there, they're going to eat us. Yeah. <laughs> or they're going to cut us open, see how we work, and then eat us. Right. <laughs> like, it's just as bad. Both sides of the coin end in death. So I think, like, when the intergalactic highway was built, <laughs> they just gave us a wide berth <laughs> and, and went right. <laughs> we just missed the exit, yeah. <laughs> Left was Milky Way, and they look at us like we look at, like, Florida. <laughs> yeah. And they were just like, fuck, fuck that. that. Could be a good time, but fuck that, <laughs> like, in general. Um, that was that was a fun... Uh, there was a fun story I read where it's a conversation between two aliens and they're talking. They're made of meat. They're ta- yeah, yeah, they're made of meat. So it was a very good time. Um, that that heavily influenced my opinion on why aliens would just think we are barbaric, <laughs> you know, so just beneath them. Um, and, and I only ever assume the Twilight Zone aspect of it as like, we're a race that's perfect for enslavement. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> let's be honest, you're probably happy we haven't met aliens at this point. Right. Um, anyway. I gotta say, man, I, I don't know that I can keep this level of cheer and optimism up for the whole episode. No. Like, I, I feel like it might crack and my real self might come through, and you know. 
that's I think that's fair. We just we started so upbeat, and it, now it's like. Well, have you have you um, here's here's a question. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you um, admitted your sins and then and then physically had to deal with the repercussions of admitting those sins out loud to someone? Because that may or may not be relevant to what we're doing. Uh, yeah, 16 years ago. Great. I, I, I was never raised in a type of... Um, church or you can say cult no you can say cult it's fine i didn't i didn't want to but let's admit it it's yeah it's a cult cult. it's cult um i've never been i was raised in a light in cult light diet cult diet cult i was i was raised in diet cult where no one really took it seriously and you could just come and go Mm -hmm. um but by the time i reached like a logical age everyone in my family just decided that we didn't want to be a part of a cult and we just said it was a waste of time and we stopped being a cult yeah um but there are a lot of cults out there where like there's a function where to absolve yourself you must physically enunciate the bad shit you've done in your life Mm -hmm. um I'd like to think therapy is probably better for you, because um, I don't know what a hail mary or, you know, a whip to your back is gonna do if you're if you're the more serious type, right? Um, when it comes to doing something wrong, and I immediately think of Paul Bettany playing that pale dude from that uh, second uh, Da Vinci's Code book. <laughs> What a, what a yeah, weird yeah, yeah. weird Tom Hanks Silas haircut. Yeah. yeah. What was that one called? Um the second one where he's in Italy. I don't know, but isn't isn't that character in uh the Da Vinci Code? Is he? I don't know. Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the, we, we might be going down that that rabbit hole today because I I had asked you what what we were gravitating towards the most today, and of course your answer was not what we're reading today, because in in typical Django Phillips fashion, you hit me with a right hook when I'm expecting a lefty. You gotta keep your hands up, man. And I don't. Keep your head moving. I can't. I get dizzy. (laughs) Don't stay in one place. And, well... Now I'm uncomfortable, (laughs) because I'm moving way too much. You should be uncomfortable. So, um, oh. Unsettling. And I... I don't, like, when it comes to religion, you know, I'll approach it with an open mind, but, like, what are we, what are we really talking about here? What What, what are we talking about, Rock? What are we actually talking about? And today we're talking about sins. We're we're talking, we're Kevin Spacey. We're Kevin Spacey in, in Seven, and we're asking, we're asking Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman to look inside the box. There's seven deadly sins. And inside is not Jam. Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uppercut. Hook. <laughs> it's not Gwyneth Haymaker. Paltrow. God damn it. Punch him in the balls. I wish it was Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Nope. Instead, it's a four-part Reddit no sleep series. Uh, what's in the box, Rock? Oh, you're just mixing all, all types of narratives, and I haven't <laughs> even finished my first drink yet. It's good to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back. I it is for those of you at home. It is Tuesday at nine a.m. and I am feeling good. And we are drinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's not do that. Oh, no. Don't it's, believe anything we're saying. It's no, all a no, lie. No, no, no. no Everything no, no, is no, a facade. No, no, no. Everything is a facade. Um, except for that real talk we had at the beginning of the episode. All yeah. of that is real and that you was, should accept. All of that's real. You should accept your imminent demise. Anyway. We are uh, hopping into a story today. Uh, like I said, this is going to be a series called uh, Sin Eater, which is uh, a really popular one on... I hope you're okay with that. Oh my god, I love Doggo so much. Yeah, she just... I am a, like, I, okay. She's needy. I swear. So if I if dogs or children are around, they look at me, and they, me and they don't detect the amount of detest... And, and infuriating feelings I have towards them. Children, not dogs. I love dogs. Okay. But children don't detect how fucking angry I am that they exist. And they come over to me. Yes, they, I also do not want to have children. I am scared. And they... Well, so, yeah, I'm with you. And they come over to me and they're like... They come up in my lap and they like make me carry them places. They, they make me take them to the playground and stuff. No way. I'm not ready for this. No I didn't way. ask for this. No thanks. I'm too nice. I gotta start... I gotta start going, No! You know, you. Do, I mean, you do actually. Yes, yeah. uh, but m- more more so, uh, the, she, she will she will sit on anyone and she will need constant affection and touch because she is the neediest and most anxious of dogs to ever exist. But then death. I think about what if I'm really like. I'm putting up a facade. Like, what if I was meant to be a father? What if kids gravitate towards me because I, I, their little faces and like doggos Listen, and cactos are changing? I've babysat come... kids my entire life. I've bathed them, fed them, put them to bed. I did that shit when I was younger. And none of my siblings have any kids, thank God. So I'm not an uncle. <clears throat> but like, do do I like kids? Sure. Just as much as I like animals, you know, if they're not mine and I don't have to take care of them, that's fine. The minute you give me a responsibility is where it all falls wayside. I feel you. I don't want to be shackled to any sort of constraint where I have to actually be responsible for something. And that's your choice. That's your choice, yeah. I'm in it. But also, like the imminent destruction we mentioned at the beginning of this episode... Who actually wants to bring a life into this world knowing that that is what they have looking forward to themselves? And isn't that a little selfish to kind of doom them to that kind of existence? Uh, maybe. That's my actual opinion. I think that's a, I think that's a smart opinion. I think it's a smart Overpopulation, terrible education system, our government is fucked, the stock market is constantly looking like it's going to crash. When's the next, you know, black summer? When's the next pandemic? I just think, you know, you bring in life, you bring in pain. I, listen, I, I hear you. It's unbearable amounts of joy, unbearable amounts of pain. It's a cogent it's argument. It's the same thing with, with getting a nice dog. Because, you know, that dog's only going to last like a good, like, 10 years, 15 Anti, tops. Anti-natalism. Look it up. Look it up, folks. Look it up on at home on your web browsers. Go to www. G-O-O-G-L dot com slash Yahoo and look up antinatalism. I like what you did there. And you'll you'll fill it in. Come all yeah, do it. That's that's enough of that conversation for for today. Um but maybe maybe we'll come back to it. Yeah. Um that's fair. 
because what's what's a what's a higher sin in life than this the carnal sin of the body? There is none. Okay. <laughs> there, this is, the story we're reading today, folks, is called "There Are Seven Inmates on Death Row in a Secret Prison." Ooh, secret. Ooh. It's not Alcatraz. Oh, it's Guantanamo Bay. And I've been tasked with eating their sins. Oh. Um. Yeah, so, uh, sin eater. Uh, apparently this is like an old tradition. It's like someone who would consume uh, a last meal with someone when they're on death row, and essentially they absolve them of all their sins. They give them, like, that last meal that they always wanted, you know, because everyone always says, what's your last meal? What's your island meal? Right. You know? Um, and, you know, this this nun essentially shows up and tries to make the passing as agreeable for them as possible, but she takes on that responsibility. She eats that eats the sin, sin for sure. with them. At least that's what I've come to uh, realize, because we look at uh, the title for part one is lust, so we're immediately getting lust, the carnal passion right. of one's body. It says lust can be a suffocating, sickening, experience and then the very first sentence is very informative a sin eater is a person who consumes a ritual meal in order to spiritually take on the sins of a deceased person so there's some type of give and take gratifying nature there that this person may pass over to the other side or exist on the other side without the baggage that they accrued uh, during their time on this earthly plane, um, if you believe in any of that you shit. Know, if you believe, that's what Jeebus said he was doing. If you believe. Dying for all our sins. He said, hey, I came here to, oh my God, what the, f- why are they bringing over a cross? Why are you getting a hammer? And then there was, there was a lot ow. of ow. <laughs> a lot of ow. And then he died for us. And then apparently he didn't that one time. But then he did come <laughs> back. It's very, they, it got retconned. There was so it was much a retcon. It was a, it was a, it was God retcon. It was there's so much that's canon and not canon, because <laughs> in the extended universe, he yeah he yeah. lives forever. I wish religion was talked about that way so that people would actually <laughs> realize how ridiculous it fucking sounds. Anyway, yeah. Do you want to do you want to start with lust or do you want me to start with lust? Do you want to be the nun or do you want to be the prisoners? How do you feel about this? Oh, because it's going to be conversations. We're going to get into dinner conversation. Damn. Uh, Let me be the nun. Okay. Uh, Do you want to start reading part one? Let's do it. Sin Eater is a person who consumes a ritual meal in order to spiritually take on the sins of a deceased person. If only it were that simple. If only. If only. (laughs) My name is Eleanor Lockwood, but you can call me Nell. I wouldn't call sinning my job or anything superfluous like that. It is simply my reason for being. My grandmother, Effa Lockwood, was one of the last in Wales to keep the practice going. With no mother or father to speak of, and no desire for children of my own, responsibility fell to me, the unlikely descendant, to take up the mantle and keep it going. Sounds like shit. Sounds like a whole time and a half. It does. But I will be the last. That much is certain. Oh, it's because they decided not to have kids. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, you know, we just talked about it. <laughs> People have lost touch with that aspect of the world. 
The tradition of days gone by, respect for the old ways and the rituals small towns and villages would undertake to safeguard their communities from wayward souls, unseen terrors, and creatures of the night. Nice. When Effa met my grandfather Ajani, an immigrant from Jamaica, he brought with him stories of voodoo curses, known as obeya, traditions held for centuries and the importance of respecting one's kin through practice. But the world was changing and when I came of age I knew I'd need to see the wider world to bring our family talents to prominence. That's when I stumbled across Sturgeon, a town with a bar between places that cater to those in need, a town with a hotel sporting physical impossibilities on every floor, a town where the dead are ferried across on seaplanes and where monsters meet martial artists in a tournament of nightmares. That sounds like a really cool place. That sounds like a place in New Jersey. <laughs> but what I have to tell you all today goes far, far away from that. It is, it's Camden. <laughs> to the outer reaches of Sturgeon's eyes and finds itself situated in a maximum security prison in the middle of the most dangerous location on Earth, the Bermuda Triangle. I am the last Sin Eater, and this is my story. I'm fucking into it. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Dun, dun. Miss Lockwood, Mr. McGraw. Your presence is urgently requested to deal with the final requests of our death row inmates. More information will be provided upon your acceptance, and arrangements will be made to bring you here within 48 hours. Simply dial the number attached, and we will organize the rest. I look forward to hearing from you. Yours faithfully, Warden Leichenberg. Buck kicked back in his recliner and swirled his whiskey around lazily as I finished reading, smirking from underneath his Stetson. You gonna go? Hell, why am I even asking? Of course you are. He downed it in one and slammed the drink down as he gasped, standing up to his full height and cracking his back. He was a burly man in his early, early 30s, rippled muscles and a thick <laughs> black beard, hiding a chiseled brown jaw and piercing green eyes. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Buck was as tough as they come. <laughs> but calmer and more patient than most men thrice his age. <laughs> thrice. He, he never judged, never tried to speak for me or tell me what to do. He respected me as an equal, and I admired him all the more for it. Wonder what the hell kind of prison situates itself in the heart of a place like that. How do you even get in there without it being a crash-and-burn scenario? I pondered aloud, taking note of the number and walking over to the landline in our office. We'd been operating as business partners for a couple of years, taking on odd jobs involving unusual specimens and occurrences that no one else wanted. Buck called us nightmare detectives. I called us scholars who got underpaid for our troubles. Makes sense to me, especially if the rumors of this place are true. Buck played with his beard and rifled through a book he'd picked from the large shelf on the back. Tempestus penitentiary is spoken of only in passing by scholars as a place that the most problematic individuals in history's shadows would be housed. Not your serial killers or political murderers, but the monsters that history tries to the best to scrub from its pages. If we go, it's gonna be a rough ride. He snaps the book shut and grins at me, my heart skipping a beat. Sounds like a hell of a hunt. I'm in. This is a nun? I'm in. <laughs> I am in. <laughs> One furtive phone call later, and we were packed with our instructions to meet the porter at the airport. Caracasa Airways, you're sure about that, right? Buck asked me, 
face buried in a notebook he'd been poring over in the weeks leading up to our letter from the warden, said it was his greatest scholarly project, but never showed me a damn thing from it. Yeah, they said a guy with a raven will greet us. <laughs> kind of hard to miss in Sturgeon, right? Even walking around with an Indiana Jones impersonator like you, <laughs> I chuckled, punching him in the arm playfully, Ow. my other hand running through the playlist on my iPod. Could never relax on a trip without some good music. Hey, I just met you in this crazy. Ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, diggy, diggy, diggy. God damn it. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. You dress and act like you're trying your damnedest to be the next Van Helsing. I'll be at Welsh and female. And better hair. <laughs> I dramatically brushed a lock <laughs> aside really as we it. both laughed. The anxiety of a sea of people rushing past us ebbing away. Isn't she wearing a habit? Why Why is her hair... Compose. <laughs> I'm back. Out of the crowd came a tall man sporting an all-black attire and an overexcited raven on his shoulder, preening his hair and shouting, Brain food! As he tried and failed to coax him. Damn it, Edgar, I told you to cool it! He hissed, offering up a finger for the corvid as a warning instead making him tilt his head quizzically before nipping him and shrieking in delight. It's raw! It's raw! He chirped as the man came closer, pinching his brow. You guys must be Lockwood and McGraw. Could spot you two a mile away. Welcome to Caracosa Airways. I'm Nestor Holden, and this little delight is Edgar. We'll be your guides to Tempestra Prison. You got everything you need. We won't be making any stops on the way, and I've been instructed to assist in any way I can when we arrive, which is a pretty good excuse to get some R&R for us. Raw and rowdy! Raw and rowdy! Edgar screeched as Nestor clicked in front of him. What did we say about crass behavior in public? He hissed. Only when funny... Edgar replied solemnly, his head lowered, myself and Buck chuckling as we grabbed our bags. Oh, and by the way, I've been told to give you this before takeoff. Keep it on you at all times. It's a charm to help ward off negative aura or something. My boss, LD, said it was imperative to get it to you. He passed us each a totem. They were old and hand-carved, both sporting frail individuals with their bony hands holding a thick hood in a perpetual state between up and down, unable to tell if they were raising it or lowering it, but the eyes were obscured. It unsettled me, but I kept it in my pocket, as did Buck, and we departed. For a split second, as we passed through the terminal, I spotted something in my peripheral vision, a thin, gangly sort of creature peering from behind a thin, concrete beam that jutted out of the floor. Bioluminescent, black little eyes fixated on me and drool running down its elongated lips, curled into a smile as gnarled, gnarled fingers awkwardly crunched until it was holding up a number in my direction. A number that would become synonymous with the rest of my life from that day forward. The number eight. Because it's, so it's seven sins and there's plus one, none. I, yep. The ride in was interesting to say the least. Our pilot was in a perpetual state of drunkenness spouting off Lord Alfred Tennyson as he took us through rocky shores and across foreboding blackened skies. I like it. I have my music on, and I'll be damned if it wasn't atmospheric when the opening riff kicked in. It's just uh, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Stevie Nicks. 
And only when it's As I looked out of the window, Buck snoring something fierce next to me. My jaw fell slack at the sight that greeted me. Where the ocean had been calm and the wind even more so for the duration of our journey, we were now greeted with a storm of tumultuous proportions. Sharp winds sliced at the window, quipping the ocean into a frenzy and slamming swaths of frothy green liquid at the plain with malice, trying in vain to stop us from approaching. The wrinkled sea beneath him crawls, he watches from his mountain walls, and like a thunderbolt he falls. The pilot sang over the intercom as he took the plane into a nosedive, sending Buck's still snoring head forward with a snap. Edgar crying out as we descended further, my hands clasped to the side of my seat and my stomach firmly in my boots. No survivors! No survivors! Edgar, don't mind him, we're fine. The approach is normal for a place like this. Nestor kept his arms crossed, seated opposite me in the flight attendant's area. Eyes cast outside as bright lights began filling the windows. Take a look. It's your new home for the next week. Buck roused from his sleep just in time to catch a glimpse of the imposing structure waiting for us as the plane leveled out and we were on approach for landing. A circular structure spanning several thousand feet rising out of the sea with torrents of water spilling off the top of the oval base and back into the ocean, several landing pads visible as light guided us in. At the center of the structure was a thick steel tube that extended down into the deeps. All around the prison were heavy winds, crashing waves, and darkness for miles on end. If someone wanted to escape, they'd find no respite upon getting out. We were waved down by a sea of guards, and a tall, imposing man stood in the back. Black trench coat and a patterned umbrella sporting blue cherry blossoms. He waved dramatically as we stepped off the plane, and a leather-gloved hand clasped my own with extreme enthusiasm. Oh my god, he actually is German. Go for it. <laughs> do you want to do it? I absolutely do not. Willkommen to my own personal Tartarus. Do you like the location? He beams proudly at me, stretching his arms out and spinning around. All of this just to prevent the worst of the worst from getting out, crushing their hopes and dreams under mine steel toe caps heel. He turns back to us and Buck scoffs. Always the eccentric types in positions of power, huh? <laughs> he murmurs, jabbering me playfully. Come on, indulge him. This is his kingdom, after all. With that, Buck strides forward, ignoring the rain and ocean froth drenching him in moments. He gives the warden firm handshake before gesturing to me. Ah, you must be our revered sin-eater. I've never seen what your people do up close and personal, but... I will take great pride in seeing it enacted on our inmates, if it means they will suffer just a little bit more. My eyebrow raised involuntarily at the thinness of the metaphor, <laughs> the warden noticing and immediately holding up his hands defensively. Oh no, don't mistake me for a sadist. I just wish to ensure my job is done properly. These are bad, bad creatures. I deign to even call them people for what they've done. Each one has committed a crime, a, a sin, if you will, so egregious that God himself would sooner spit on his own son that allow a single one amongst them in the kingdom of Elysium. You are a religious man, Mr. Lichenberg? I asked. Buck and I following him into the central tube that connected the entrance to the main prison. 
Nestor and Edgar bringing up the rear as the pilot cackled and began taking off again. Are you not, Madam Lockwood? In a world such horrors as what we house here, one must have something to cling to that enables us to believe there is truth, justice, punishment, and reward. A balance for all things, such was the way the Greeks believed things to be. With your profession, I would have assumed due to be an woman of the cloth, no? I shook my head as we piled into the chamber, the doors closing on our last look of the outside world for a week. If there is a god, he blinded himself to our struggles long ago. Whatever go goes on up here is up to us now. I just do my part in the process. Buck sighed and Nestor fed Edgar to keep him calm as we descended, the front section of the tube showing nothing but steel as we descended. But after a moment, the view gave way to the top of a sprawling prison, the general population area. Thousands of inmates, some human and others, well, monsters of the most literal sense. All in turquoise jumpsuits and either congregating in groups, doing work for the officers, or working out. As we got closer, it became apparent that this building was far bigger and deeper than it couldn't have imagined. Our prison houses 7,000 inmates of various backgrounds, crimes, and origins. We are tasked with making sure they never get out and cause more havoc up above. I'd inform you more of them or even give you an tour, but alas, we're not here for them. The tube dropped down and we were plunged into darkness once more, save for a few maintenance lights that flooded the room in a red and purple hue. Your prison is expansive, Warden, I'm impressed. How many legendary beasts you got locked up in here? I'd enjoy cataloging some of them for my compendium. The Warden seemed to think on it for a moment before politely shaking his head. Ah, my apologies, but there's no chance on your schedule. Each session will be difficult, and take your day to complete. With seven of them, I do not wish to waste extra energy, but I am proud of the structure wherein these individuals are housed. Since my appointment to the position, we have had a far more complacent criminal populace and far less deaths. He clapped his hands together excitedly huh. as we came to a stop in front of a single white hallway. You know, I never envisioned getting my dream job by 34, but here we are. Strange how the world works, no? You look fucking 60. He ushered us out and told I am, him- I am, I am ageless, <laughs> I am a demon. <laughs> he, he ushered us out and towards a makeshift office, fitted with a bed, couch, vending machine, and research area. This is your workstation area. We will provide you with anything you may need and any extra facilities can be provided to you with an escort. Your first inmate is already waiting. Placing my wet clothes Ooh. and baggage down, <laughs> I stared at him incredulously. Now, what about any information on him or her first? A smile ripped across his face, his shoulders hunching. The man wasn't necessarily threatening, but his height, coupled with the power he held here, certainly made it an uncomfortable look. I want to see if your skills are as true as they come. His, as well. He looked over at Buck, who grinned back, but there was a fence right behind him. What about me? 
I need a test. Nestor quipped, Edgar trying to get at his eyebrows and preen them. No, you're a bodyguard. So long as you protect them, I think we'll have no issue. Even if I'm not fond of your... pet. Edgar cocked his head in the warden's direction before screeching. Tasty eyes! Tasty eyes! And laughing as Nestor scolded him. As good a time as any, I suppose. Let's go. Lead the way, warden. With that, he escorted us out and down the long hallway through the one locked door and out into a visitor's center of sorts. Several guards stood on watch and patted us down for contraband before we could even step foot into their interview areas. Welcome, warden. Who are our esteemed guests visiting today? Cell 2, Officer Mitchell, prisoner 4822. He passed us a pen to sign in with and nodded before buzzing the gate and allowing us through. Remember, if they catch you, we won't negotiate. Not for anything or anyone. Nestor smiled as we went through to the interview room on the left of the cells. If I fail them, they're dead anyway. <laughs> Why is Nestor tagging along? Whatever. Nestor's a fucking dork. I'm a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can help with my bird. <laughs> the interview chamber was odd, to say the least. It seemed cordoned off from the rest of the building, as if quarantined. A small table with four chairs greeted us, a thick plexiglass window stretching across the length of the far wall, total darkness on the other side. The prisoner will be with you momentarily, I'll be watching from my office, but there is a button to the right of the wall if anything should go wrong. I'll speak with you after you've done. Good luck. Frau Lockwood. He paused as the door held open, as if contemplating whether or not to say something else. Don't be fooled by this one. Looks can be deceiving. With that, the door shut and our first interview began. I just want to say I'm having a very fun time reading as that guy. I'm so glad because there's no way I'm attempting a German accent. <laughs> he has a he has a fun he has a fun air about him and I feel like I'm going to tap into some Christopher Waltz Inglorious Bastards he's at such, some point. He's such like horror B movie like he's oh, the classic Oh, absolutely. Trope of like, so why would a German guy be in the middle yeah. of the Bermuda Triangle? It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. For a moment there was a silence that permeated the room as if waiting for something to start things off. Buck was sat down with his compendium open and ready, a small microphone attached to a dictator machine, Nestor leaning against the wall and keeping Edgar entertained. I called out, hoping to get a response. The warden called you prisoner 4822, but I'm hoping you have a more fitting name. Never been a fan of complexities. I'm Madame Nell Lockwood person you all asked to come here for your uh, sins. Are you there? Something shifted in the darkness, a thick bulging, undulating shape that began wheezing and hacking as it moved forward. Yeah. I'm here, ma'am. Name's Tallulah Makepeace. Thank you for coming. I felt something. Still not sure what, but I pressed on and tried to find a natural groove. The session wouldn't work if we didn't get off on a good footing. Why'd you ask for me? I'm to understand none of you are particularly sorry for what you did. I may as well get the awkwardness out 
awkwardness out now, I thought, seemed silly to ignore. To her credit, she scoffed at my comment. Just because I ain't sorry don't mean the sin shouldn't be excised. Maybe it'll just make me feel remorse, who knows. I know what I did was wrong, but it was for a greater purpose. You'll see. You know what I do? How I do it? I asked, the figure hacking and chuckling before replying. <laughs> yeah, I know what you do, honey. I got a lot of sins, but it's the early ones, the ones that put me in this metal coffin that I need to get off my chest. And boy, if my chest ain't heavy enough already. She laughed. And I began to get the impression she was a heavier woman, even with the Shroud of Darkness. But instead of pressing her to move forward, I did what I'd always done. I encouraged her to tell her story. It all started when I was about 11 or 12. I was a pretty young thing, let me tell you. Wore nice floral dresses, had fair skin, all the boys wanted to take me out. Heck, even the girls, not that I minded. Mama said I was a perfect angel. Problem was, I didn't care for any of them, not really, anyway. They were just there, background noise to absorb what I needed attention, gifts, favors. I tell you, the world had dropped another atom bomb, and I was the only one left standing. I'm not sure that I've been too concerned with the aftermath. She snorted and spat on the floor, clearing her throat before continuing. <coughs> One night, right before Valentine's Day, something appeared at the end of my bed. He was tall, muscular, completely covered in red hair and washboard abs. I mean, my goodness. She let out a shudder, and I felt my skin crawl. He said his name was Azazel, and that he was an incubus. Someone sent here to pass on a message. I wasn't attaining my true form, but the form that others wanted me to partake. Until <coughs> I became what he knew I could be, both inside and out. Well, I was destined to be alone and unloved. So what did you do next, Tallulah? Were you inspired to change, or did you seek a doctor? I asked, hands tapping the table as I gained a better idea of the woman in front of me. A doctor? Bitch, you crazy? I got a vision from my ideal man, and he told me I had to change. You don't just ignore that. So I did as I was told. Began eating more, not worrying about my hygiene unless my parents forced me to. But they gave up eventually. Stopped studying. Dedicated myself wholeheartedly to the craft of perfection. Gained 150 pounds in just a few years, and my God, I was beautiful. I still am, of course, but when you see yourself for the first time, it's like peeling off your old skin and stepping out of a cocoon. She leaned back, and I heard the chair groan under the pressure. By now, a thick mist was forming around her. A byproduct of the session, but she wasn't to know that just yet. Was it around this time you started luring young men and women into the woods, Tallulah? Buck asked, 
His eyes darkened, his grin replaced with a scowl. You must have been about 17 years old when you started, right? I know the name and what you did. Tallulah shifted in her seat and made an approving noise, leaning into the darkness to see Buck better. My, my. As if it weren't enough to have one looker in here, I got two. Are y'all helping me with the sin to be eaten, or all y'all the snacks? You look good enough to eat. <laughs> when I completed the physical metamorphosis, Azazel came back to me, cooing in my ear that to have the perfect love, I had to be willing to give up everything and go further, to take love from others. She scratched her face, thick calluses resisting the nails, and I swear I heard a pimple pop, my stomach turning but ignoring the desire to lose composure. First few, I just told them there was an animal in need or that I'd lost my baby brother in them woods. I guess the damsel in distress thing is still pretty popular. They'd always come in, help me, and get caught. That's where the real process began. See, it weren't enough to just kill them. The point of true love was to carry them with you forever. To take their lives, take a piece of them, and ensure it was always a part of you. That was true power. She leaned forward, and it took every inch of my body not to recoil in horror. She was a gargantuan woman in her 30s. 600 pounds easily, undulating fat and heavy folds spilling out of her turquoise jumpsuit and spilling over the chair. Her black hair was matted to her head and her facial features were so sunken into her elongated and fattened skull that I struggled to comprehend how she saw anything. But that mouth, my god it was double the size of my own. The teeth were yellowed and the gums bright red. Random hairs and pimples littered her face like badges of honor. See, they say bees make the best honey, but that ain't quite true. Azazel taught me all about the mummification of old human beings, men and women who will willingly give their bodies to be something more. But there are a few quicker ways to make it happen, if you have a guiding voice. She grinned and a long black tongue escaped her lips like a serpent tasting the air around a frightened victim. I'd made sure the holes were deep, the coffins were done perfectly to their measurements. It helped to have a friendly neighbor who made them special for me if I gave him favors in return. Once they fell in, the drop was steep enough that they couldn't get back out. The liquid would act like a gelling agent, stopping them from going very far until I came back with the rest of the ingredients. <clears throat> Watching them struggle like flies in a trap was always immensely satisfying. She groaned, and the hairs on my body stood on end. It felt more and more like I was being sized up. The red and pink mist filling a room now gaining mass at a rapid rate. So you made these people into f food? I asked, trying not to dry heave as I finished my sentence. Mm-hmm. They'd struggle until their strength gave out and their heads fell under the water. Then I'd put the lid on and wait. In my own little garden of Eden, it was like I was a god in my own backyard. Give it just two months, they'd be nothing more than sweet liquid that kept me young. 
beautiful and immortal. So long as I had that sweet nectar, I weren't going nowhere. I had a task to fulfill and a part to play, so saith Azazel. I couldn't stop until I met the one I was destined to fall in love with. But that's not all you did, is it? Because if it was, we'd be done by now. I pressed on, the mist beginning to form into a shape, but not quite there. Tallulah shifted uncomfortably in her seat, finally showing a degree of emotion before she continued. I started to lose track of how many I was putting into them pits. Didn't matter if it were a couple, an older guy, a younger girl, whatever. But importantly, I knew to be smart and to be careful, never any personal ties. So, when Candace wandered in... She paused, beady little eyes welling up with tears and her jowls quivering with sadness. I broke my only rule. My little girl was only three when she went out to play. She wandered into an open pit that I'd dug for our next victim. He was a playmate of hers, and if she just... just waited a little bit longer... She burst into tears, greasy, filthy hands covering her face as she sobbed heavily. And after that, you gave yourself up? It seemed too convenient, but she nodded, snot running down her face. I saw no way forward with minor Azazel's goal without Candace, my progeny. So I gave myself up and here I am, waiting for death. The haze was nearly fully formed now, but something was still missing. That's not the worst of it, is it, Tallulah? Buck pressed, something in his voice commanding the room. You lure people in with pity and sexual favors, or expected to believe you had any soft spot? I don't buy it. I know what the greatest sacrifices entail. Candace didn't wander in there, did she? The crying grew louder as Buck pressed her more. It took a moment, but her demeanor shifted once again, and I swear I have never felt more like a diver in a shark tank waiting to be devoured. Every fiber of my being urged me to run as the crying gave way to uproarious laughter and a thunderous pounding against the plexiglass, damn near jumping me out of my skin as she cackled. Oh, I thought my acting would have fooled y'all. Guess I'm losing my charm, huh? I felt sick, my nostrils filling with the scent of honey. I knew we were close. Nah. I didn't give myself up out of grief. I did it because Candace was my last one. My little angel with her pink bow, flowing locks and curly hair. She saw me as a god. But I saw her as a means to an end. A love unrequited from daughter to mother. She didn't even put up a fight when I dropped her in the pit. Just looked up at me with those doe eyes and said, Mama, why? As I poured the mixture in. And let me tell you. Tallulah leaned forward, her fetid breath fogging up the glass as the mist around her took the shape of a tall man, clad in red fur and with thick horns, yellow eyes beaming at her with an expectant grin. She was the most delicious of them all, and they're with me always, all of them. Tallulah, why even have me here if you've got no real fears of what happens next? Why put us through that sordid and disgusting tale? I tried to keep my emotions in check, struggling to hold my nerve. Because I wanted someone to look at my beauty one last time and see me unburdened by sin as I move to the next phase. This is just the first part. You are my witness. That's all there is to it. She got out of her seat as I held back my sheer disgust. 
knowing in a few moments I need to devour the sin. She cracked her large back and neck, smiling at us as if we were those same victims she lured into the woods, moments away from their death. Good nice meeting you. Glad you were there to hear my sin. But time's a-wasting, as Azel and I are off to greener pastures of godhood. But I'm sure we'll see one another again, someday. With that, she walked over to the man, embracing him in a passionate kiss as he pinched her nose with one hand, gripping her throat with the other. She struggled and despite her sheer weight and height advantage could not break his grip. I watched in horror as her fighting grew weaker and as her arms fell limp, he pulled away to crack her neck and let her fall to the floor. His eyes scanned us once before Buck called his name and he faded from the room in a puff of smoke. Damn. Nestor ran for the panic button and pushed it as the sirens rang out and furtive footsteps rushed down the hall. And I was already fixated on the final part of the ritual. Some sin eaters only needed to devour the sin in a meal form, carrying it with them and moving on. But in my case, there had to be a story, a reason, and a connection. Now I'm staring down the end result of this creature's exploits, knowing it will be part of me forevermore. In front of me lay a small bowl filled with a golden liquid that bubbled and frothed. I knew I had to eat it to finish the ritual, but there was something stopping me. Something I could see in the broth that made me realize I would regret visiting this prison for the rest of my life. A lock of hair tied to a small pink bow floating to the surface before fizzling away. Eyes closed and hands trembling, I brought the bowl to my lips and did as I was instructed to. I devoured the sin. Inmate 4822 Tallulah make peace. Sin, lust, food, mellified man. I think this is awesome. I think it's pretty cool. I think that was written really fucking well. I think it feels like a B-movie, but that's why I fucking love it. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the type of thing that you'd expect mm -hmm. to see on No Sleep. And it's it's weird enough that I can get into it, and it has character, and it has character in abundance. When you look at you look at Nestor, you look at Buck, you look at the nun in general. The you you look at you look at the the Corvid. The, it's the Raven. Yeah, it's the little Raven. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, there's there's a lot of really great little things going on here, and I'm I'm really happy to be reading this with you because I think this is this is going to be a fun kind of thing that we can oh, go back sure. and forth with. For sure. Um, are are you <clears throat> ready? for part two. Let's do it. If we let it, greed will consume us all. I am the last Sin Eater, now Lockwood, and I'm already feeling the effects of this job after just one inmate. Wait, really quick. Yeah. I mean, you know the twists, right? You know where this is going. I don't know where this is going. Uh, what I do know you, where what this is you, going. What do you say? It? No, come on. S -s 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 say it. She's not a Sin Eater. Oh. She's like Satan. Nah. Yeah. Nah, I don't yeah. see that. I don't see that. She's gonna embody all that. She she is gonna do it. They made a mistake. Tallulah died. Oh no. They did it wrong. Tallulah died. Not a mistake. They're gonna make six more mistakes. And then she's gonna... I do like it, though. You think she's a vessel? The, uh, man, I think she is gonna be the most powerful demon ever. No, I think she's a sin eater. I think we should trust. There's nothing but a sin, sin eater. 
a quick aside, thank you all for your words of support, encouragement, and requests to have your sin your discovered. I will do my best, but there is a plethora of requests, and I am but a woman with a monumental task ahead of me. In the moments following our tumultuous affair with Tallulah, the woman representing lust, I forced down the broth of mellified man and felt my entire body caked in that sickly sensation you get after downing cod liver oil. Can't say I've ever done that. It made every facet of my being wretch and try its damnedest to pull my liquid back up from my stomach. But any good sin eater worth their training knows better than to ruin a good ritual. Buck saw me struggling and took my hand as the guards funneled in, rushing onto both sides of the plexiglass, one to check on us and the other to hoist the gargantuan form of Tallulah off the floor and onto a makeshift stretcher, though it was obvious, even from here, that it would not be enough to hold her frame. Hey, Nellie. Look at me. He spoke softly, and I felt the bile rise in my stomach, but I did as he told me. I stared at him for what felt like minutes, his calm demeanor putting me at ease, the acid in my chest fighting to stay up, but rapidly dissipating as he put his hands on my shoulder and kissed my forehead. When he pulled away, his breath was hot, and he looked pained, but settled down quickly. Anytime you get like that, you just lean on me, okay? I'm your safeguard. That's what I'm here for. Well, he side-eyed the compendium on the desk. The page flipped open to a news report about the mellified woman of Utah and turned back, a sly grin on his face that made me melt. That and building this hero book. <laughs> Mama McGraw won't be happy if I don't complete it soon. <laughs> I got up and gazed over at the book. His mother was the matriarch of McGraw clan, an old and powerful group of cryptozoologists who for centuries had safeguarded the shores of the UK from threats both outside and inside the nation. Creatures older than any structure and more powerful than any king and wiser than any elder. Buck's job was to ensure the more was catalogued and the pages filled before his ascension to the elder status. I wonder if he knew what that book would come to be, what it would represent. The guards escorted us out, and an expectant warden stood between us in the break room, his hands outstretched and his smile wide. (laughs) You're still going to read for the nun and Buck. I'm still going to read for everyone Oh, I'm I'm nun and Buck. Okay, got it. Were you really gonna give it a go? Uh, let, let me hear. Let me hear your. Let me hear your Vandabah. Vandabah. <laughs> oh Vandabah! You did excellently, my devourers of sins. It was most impressed, though a little surprised with the aftermath. Did you intend to have such an encounter? No, but I never know how these things will occur when I start. I simply let the conversation flow and like a breeze in the sails, carry me to it wherever it leads. But right now I just want to sleep. I'd have appreciated knowing who she was before I went in there. What I need to consume. If the warden recognized my not-so-subtle plea to move, he ignored it with expertise. Now you have some twelve hours until your next deportment with prisoner 6572, but I must warn you, this one's tale is more unpleasant than the last. They're young, but do not mistake that youth for naivety. They make prisoner four eight two two seem tame in comparison. Oh, Nestor. Why do I feel like you're gonna say that for every interview we have? Nestor's eyes narrowed and Edgar croaked away, flapping his wings as the warden paced near him. Corpse hoarder! Corpse hoarder! Flee! 
The warden looked closely at him before smiling wide, the warmth returning to his jubilant face. Because I will. That is not an easy task, and I would be wasting a most valuable resource if I sent you to Der Wolf's right off the bat. Instead, you are going with what I feel is the most appropriate difficulty curve that just so happens to be 6752. I'll forward you some papers to take an eye over, but I would prefer if only you and the Birdman knew the information. The less the Sin Eater knows, the better. Why? Think I can't handle it? You called me here, Warden Lichenberg. I spat. I was tired and now insulted. He shook his head and sighed. It is because you clearly empathize too much. A Sin Eater carries the burdens of their sinner for all time. I wish to see you live through this, not be crushed by it. You are the last Sin Eater. We must be mindful of that. Besides, what kind of warden would I be if I let a guest die in my prison? With that, he clicked his fingers and the men followed at his heel, pushing the partially obscured body of Tallulah along the hall and out of sight. We flyled into the break room and I collapsed into a heap onto the bed, exhaustion taking me over. Between the trip and the thoughts of what she had done, my entire body was racked with fatigue. I hadn't been this worn out since my first sin-eating session some ten years prior. Drifting in and out of sleep, I heard the muffled voices of Buck, Nestor, and occasionally Edgar discussing the papers in front of them. Their voices were steeped in disgust, concerned, and anxious strategies. I heard them pinning things to the board in keywords like stitched, malformed, and freak. But nothing more as deep sleep took me. It was there I had my recurring dream, the night I was taken from my home and put into the care of my grandparents, the night I realized I was a sin eater. Mum had cooked a pot roast and was watching a nature program with David Attenborough. <laughs> I loved his voice, still do. His soothing cadences and love of nature resonated with a young me who spent her time cataloging bugs in the backyard and dreaming one day on going on a grand adventure to find untold secrets and creatures. I remember looking out on our driveway towards the main road which bordered on the new forest. Mum was a forest ranger and routinely had to go out for calls. Sometimes there would be an animal incident where a deer ran into a car. Other times there would be a small forest fire or some dickhead teenager setting off fireworks. This time was different. Her voice was panicked. She grabbed her keys, telling me to lock up and not touch the oven as she'd be back in 30 minutes. There's a gap after that. There always is. But I recall the purple glow from the clearing, the loud booming sound, and the searing hot pain filling my lungs. Then I would see a face leering over me, upside down, features contorted as it leaned closer, before waking up in a cold sweat. But this time, I saw something new. The creature from the airport. Features even more horrifying as they pressed up close to my own. The smell of its sin overbearing my nose and making my eyes water. The smell of a rotting corpse. It smiled and held out those gnarled fingers again, this time dropping one digit slowly into its grotesque fist. Seven. Waking up, the lights were dimmed, and Buck was nowhere to be seen, nor was his book. Nestor sat in the seat facing opposite, keeping a watchful eye while cradling a sleeping Edgar. When he wasn't screeching out expletives or being a smartass, he was downright adorable. A small black furry baby at peace in his arms. You know what, I found him the day I lost everything. 
I stood amid the smolders of my home and found a small black egg that I assumed was seared from the flames. But no, it was just that, an obsidian egg untouched by the surrounding destruction. I felt a desire to protect him, especially considering I couldn't protect them. He bonded with me immediately and picked up words far quicker than any Corvid should. Hell, sometimes I think he was brought to me by Lady Death herself, but that'd be too convenient. He stroked Edgar's feathers softly as he made faint cooing sounds. I trust you know my sin, Nell he said, breaking the silence and adding a weight to the room that I didn't realize was there. He was smiling, but the guilt hung over him like a deluge of emotional weight. Yeah, lesser wrath. You made a bad call and it cost you everything. Your partner, your two boys, your livelihood. Lady Death made a deal and here you are. Your sin is in several small parts that cling to you wherever you roam. They smell of sulfur and brimstone, but taste of apples and tears. I got up and walked to him, kneeling in front of his tired face, and took his hands in mine. You are not a bad person, Nestor. I don't sense it, and neither does Buck. You are a protector. If you've got my back, I've got yours. Edgar stirred in his arms and mumbled, Papa, safety, Papa, love, before ruffling his feathers. Nestor's eyes glazed over and he sniffed, nodding with thanks as I stretched and made myself something to eat, desperate to get the taste of honey out of my mouth. Do you think the next sin will really be as bad as the warden claims? He asked, looking up at the clock three hours to go until we were due the interview then. I think if the warden wanted to lie to us, he'd try something a bit more complex. So yeah, I'm not ruling anything out. I sighed and took a long sip from my chamomile tea, the aroma helping to eradicate mellified man, my taste buds grateful as it passed my tongue. But you gotta think. A guy with the name Corpses on a Mountain isn't to be trusted. We sat and waited for the prisoner, having followed the same procedures as before. This time, a sense of anticipation and dread hung in the air. Not only because of how the last one had gone, but because both Nestor and Buck knew something I didn't. Something they desperately wanted to reveal from under the watchful eye of the warden, and it was killing them to hide it. I rolled up my sleeves and took a deep breath, the sound of someone wheeling, someone being wheeled in from the other side of the pexiglass. Unlike the gurney of previous inmate was removed on, this was a wheelchair with restraints. The person hidden behind the low lighting once more. May I ask your name before we begin? It's far too informal in comparison to your assigned number. The form cocked its head to the side and held up its hand in a conversational form, whispering to it before responding to us. Names are powerful things. For now, you may address us as Amorosa. We contain all things beautiful. They leaned forward, wiry brown hair poking through the shadows and giving us a glimpse at the owner. And you are our sin eater. Most good. We have a sin that we want excised from us. It is the one thing we do not want. Very well. That's what I'm here for, Amorosa. Tell me how your sin came to be. What formed it? We realized early on that we craved more than our means provided. Earth givers did their best with meager offerings passing fancies and trinkets that ultimately meant nothing to us. We sought greater things, lesser things, all things. But we were young, weak, and unable to do such things on our own. We listened and waited until we matured enough to progress. Listened? To whom? 
I pressed their third-person shtick already wearing on me. Even if it was fascinating, they leaned back in their chair, their bodies shaking with excitement, no different to Tallulah. Our savior, one of our guiding lights, Moloch. The room rumbled, a soft heat flowed in from the corners, and I saw the red haze begin permeating around the back of Amorosa's chair. The Canaanite god? That Moloch? Buck scanned his book, putting a finger on an article and sliding it towards me, depictions of children thrown into his belly, screaming and reaching out for despondent parents as if they're cast into flames, his nose billowing smoke. I felt sick. Yes. Though he did not request such acts in his name, he came to us in a dream on our 18th birthday, informing us we were a vessel for him to inhabit one day. But in order to do so, we had to take from everyone else around us. We had to expand our horizons and our skills. So we set off being a doctor and learning the tools of the trade. It was imperative for our metamorphosis. I trust when you spoke to make peace, she informed you of something similar? I recalled her discussion over growing larger, less clean, eschewing hygiene, ignoring the desire to shiver, I nodded. We had a similar one. Do you not think that it is right for people to grow and change, to, to desire more than their position offers, perhaps to aspire for greater things, things that others have? We do not think it is such a strange concept. People take from others all the time in order to survive. Buck interjected. Nestor staring daggers at Amorosa. That ain't what you did, though, is it? You didn't just take to survive. In fact, you never took to survive. You simply ransacked. A thief. In the lowest sense of the word. His fists clenched and his teeth gritted. I held up a hand to stop him. It's all right. We're fine. I promise. Before he could protest, I put on my firmest voice to ensure I didn't lose Amorosa's respect. Not another word. He sat back. Shoulders falling under the weight of his words and focusing instead on the compendium and the haze. Organs count as vital survival items, you know. We simply required more of them than the usual person. Amorosa quipped, and for the first time I sensed something other than the neutrality in their tone. I, I need you to sit forward so I can see you, Amorosa. I don't believe we can conduct this properly if you're hidden. There was a murmuring. The form shifted, and another voice spoke, this one gruff and masculine, sounding like they'd swallowed an ashtray and washed it down with bourbon. The fuck is this? You think you can take from me? I own you. I own all of this. I do what I want because the money in my bank account and the status I covet makes it so. Fuck you. I ain't moving for shit. I was taken aback. This was coming out of nowhere, and it certainly didn't match the aloof tone they displayed before. What was this? Uh, to whom am I speaking now? I asked, trying to get a handle on the situation, but the form shifted and became elegant, draping one leg over the other and hands folded on the knee. Oh dear, you feel you have the status to address me? I'm a queen in my own home, and I do not speak to the lowly dregs such as you. I can buy and sell you in the blink of an eye, bitch. The form argued with itself until settling down and shaking its head. It sighed and leaned forward into the light, displaying its true horror. It took everything in me not to scream. 
modern-day Prometheus. It was the only thing that came to mind in the moment that the haze split off into two patterns on either side of their containment chamber. The hair was wiry on one side, slicked back on the other, the head filled with stitched and sutured segments of discolored flesh, eyes extra drooping in places they shouldn't be, two distinct faces leering at us, several smaller pain-addled faces on their neck, and cheeks groaned in protest, one barely masculine face to the left and a slightly more feminine to the right, one all-encompassing mouth at the center innumerable teeth and thick black lips parted for speech. They were an amalgamation of other human beings. Even when they spoke, the tongue was forked and split into two directions. We were once two. Our names no longer matter to anyone but you, it seems. Donal and Millicent Cartwright. We knew our callings were unique, but we had no idea that there would be two, one for each greedy twin. Where Donal had Moloch crooning in their ear, Millicent heard from Mammon, the presenter of ill-gotten wealth. Though, to us, any wealth acquired by our forms means it was only ours. Alas, we wanted more. Buck scanned for a newspaper article, but wouldn't show it to me. I could make out the words, Organ Thief, and my suspicions were confirmed. The mists were almost complete. Why did you steal people's identities? Why take from them in this way? I know greed to be about food, money, power, but why this? Amorosa pondered for a moment, both faces looking to each other before responding. The greatest power is that of domination of the soul. Own a person's flesh, own their entire being. Maman and Malak had different ways of saying such things to us, but we knew that in order for us to ascend to the next level, we had to acquire a set amount of souls. Our greed would need to be tested. They stopped for a moment, hesitant. We would need to be tested. Before we came in front of you, the greediest woman of all time and equally avaricious, avaricious company. I felt the hot flash of anger rise in me at the statement to be called such a thing by a monstrous killer. Well, it was enough to set me off, but I tried my, my best to maintain my composure as Nestor and Edgar leaned forward, perhaps expecting trouble. I consume sins to absolve the person, to set them free. That does not make me greedy. Nor is Buck or Nestor in such company of yours. I breathed, trying to keep things on track. You're leading up to the sin you wish to tell. What is it? But Amorosa was not done. They tapped their heads with a spindly finger, each in tandem. But you carry all those sins. Such a beautiful method for absorbing others that we could never wish to acquire. Mr. McGraw is attempting to acquire all the knowledge on beasts and people like us for his own self-gain. Mr. Holden over there lost everything through greed and still wants more. They smiled, those white pillars shimmering from their jaws. I am fed as much information as I wish. We are not so different. The sin, if you could. I am a busy woman. I replied curtly. I didn't like my own character being brought into question, Nestor and Buck both holding their nerve as best they could. The soft, feminine voice returned. I began acquiring the souls necessary for ascension. It was not easy work, but my brother and I are remarkably efficient with our hands. We would make sure the subject was someone who had something we wanted. It started out as money, food, status, a reason to justify our cause in those earlier days. 
Donald butted in. But you eventually realize that it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It was our destiny to take, and take we did. Every single one served a greater purpose, stitched into our fabric and becoming a part of us, burning what we didn't need in service to Lord Moloch. And Lord Mammon, yes, Millicent remarked, her voice quivering with emotion. But we knew there would be a greater sacrifice needed, especially upon our eighteenth birthday, and our loving family discovered our secret. One of our playthings had woken up and managed to escape from the basement. Before Papa could even question it, Donald bludgeoned him to death. I set upon Mother and used the boiling water from the stove to burn her flesh and cave her soft skull in with a, a frying pan. The mists were almost complete, the shapes of a large bull with the legs of a man and the tail of a scorpion on the left, a heavy-set man with a golden crown and a slew of jewelry, his gut exposed and a smile across his wide face on the right. We made sure the siblings didn't suffer much, but we were pressed for time and both voices rang in our ears. We could not stand to be apart from the family or each other. So, with the what time we had, we put our skills to the test one last time. Food had begun filling up my table. Plates upon plates of meat cooked to perfection stacked themselves in front of me. The aroma of bacon, eggs, filled the air, but I was not hungry. They screamed so much that our ears bled. We worked diligently to scrap them as best as we could before bringing them into ourselves and joining us together in the beautiful form you see here. Amorosa is the nirvana state we hoped to reach before we met with you, our god of greed. As the mists filled, Amorosa rose from their seat on extremely fragile legs, four knees threatening to buckle at this towering mass of flesh and limbs took tentative steps towards the plexiglass, placing one of its hands up against it. Those hands had strangled, cut, ripped, and torn apart innocent people, harvesting their organs, their bones, their flesh, taking what they want. Those truly were the hands of greed. Our sole regret is that we couldn't take more of them, for it is our birthright, but we were instructed to tell our deeds and lay our sins bare that we have done. Now we move to the final stage of consumption. They took their hands away as the meat continued to pile, Nestor stepping forward to stop it tumbling over, but I shook my head. This was the final moment. This ascension, what is it? What does it mean? I knew this may be my last chance to ask them. I was already becoming eerily familiar with the end brought to these interviews. They smiled as the heads displayed individual expressions of joy. It means we will consume everything. Not a single shard of light will be out of our grasp, so it is written. Good luck, my lady. You will need it for the road ahead. I can't imagine how hard it will be for someone as greedy as you to sacrifice anything. But you will need to, before the task is complete. As the mist had finished, both figures walked towards Amorosa, somehow towering over even them. Moloch put a pair of huge anvil-like fists on Donald's face, Mamon placing bright red and muscled hands on Millicent's. Then, without warning, they pulled. The screaming was unholy, each face and patchwork person shrieking at the top of their lungs, but neither one relented. Slowly, the skin separated from the body, and partially intact people were pulled away into their corners, the remains of Amorosa simply falling to the floor in the f 
flesh pile with a sickening wet squelch. Donal was pushed into the open, fiery belly of Moloch, the screams rippling through his face and nose as red eyes gleamed from him. Millicent was put on her knees in front of Maman, who opened his monstrously large jaws, picking her up by her waist and biting down hard on the top half of her, a spurt of blood staining the plexiglass as he continued to devour the rest of her, kicking in protest and perhaps even in joy. Buck and Nestor sprung forward to stop me, but I knew I had to eat the food. The ritual was useless without it. I'd closed my eyes and simply taken a bite. The surrounding commotion largely blocked out. The first bite was soft. Some blood dribbled out and stained my chin. The meat was tender and it melted in my mouth as it began to run down my throat. After mellified man, this was ambrosia. I began biting down harder, quicker, and more voraciously, trying to clear my plate as quickly as I could, my stomach expanding to accommodate the extra contents. Yet, I never felt full, or even remotely bloated. As if the food was simply evaporating when I swallowed it, I was enjoying it. But only after I gave pause to breathe did I realize that not only was this not true food, but I was choking. Tough coarse meat, filling my throat and burning my nostrils. Thick, unyielding fatty was staining my teeth and entrenching itself in my throat, filling my sinuses and even making my eyes water. The taste, it was horrifying, but not as much as the feeling of thumping in my throat as I pushed hard to swallow. It resisted and felt like it was a small egg I'd elected to attempt eating in one go. I swear I felt it push against me as my body writhed and desperately tried to push it down. I was determined to finish. I couldn't fail here. It was only when Buck pulled me away and Edgar swooped down to stare at me, crowing, Meat! Meat! Tasty! Meat! That I realized what was going on. The plate of meat wasn't steaks. It wasn't chicken or anything even close. As Buck thumped my back in an effort to help me throw it up, I instead swallowed and felt something iron-tasting fall into my stomach. What lay left on the plate was a single human heart, still beating faintly, and a small congealed pool of blood around it. I'd just eaten what remained of the entire family. Inmate 6527, Donald and Millicent Cartwright, known collectively as Emerosa, Sin, Greed, Food, Steak, The Cartwright Family. Okay, I've changed... <laughs> You immediately changed your perspective on, on where this is going to go? My prediction. Change my prediction. Okay. Do you have a new prediction? I have an additional prediction, and I think one or two of them is going to happen. Either okay. she's Satan, and she's <laughs> eating all these sins You're doubling down. to be great at sinning. Okay. Or... I love sin. <laughs> I love sin so much. I'm so good at it. Or she's fucking eating their sin. She's eating their sin... She's gluttony, and the all the people that she brought with her, for whatever reason, are her jailers, and this is like... Shutter Island. It's fucking... Sh it's a god... <laughs> it's a fucking no-sleep Shutter Island. Um, what, what awful thing had she done, though? If she's just eating since she's absolving people, she's not doing anything bad. What was her sin? What, what did she do? It's not enough to just be locked somewhere because he helped a bunch of people kill themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Well, it's her like origin story. Her 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 backstory. You think she's gonna do something at the end? Like like it will like be revealed Buck, a little bit more. No, no, kill no. Edgar. What happened to her to become a sin eater? Is ultimately we'll find out. No, she her was fault. raised. She was raised to be a sin eater. 
Yeah, but there was a oh, night. Oh, the, the night, back the dream that, thing. The purple the, light. The purple man. And and she's going to be like, oh, wait, I did it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to think. I'm along for the ride. I actually think this is one of the first times where I don't have an assumption. I think it's just going to play out the way it's going to play out, and I think she's going to come to some type of realization that's going to be the eighth chapter. I think... I think she might die as the eighth chapter. I think I think this might have been her purpose to be to be the last sin eater to come here to to do this. And and, you know, that that might just be her tale. That might just be her ending. You know, I I don't essentially think she's bad. I really don't. I don't think she has anything to hide. I think she might be repressing something, you know, unknowledgeably. Right. Um. But I, I, I like I like everything. I li- like I said earlier, I like everything that's going on here. I like I lo- I actually I will say love. I love the way this is written. I think the pacing is fantastic. This person obviously knows what they're doing. I actually believe Sin Eater shout out as a collection. You can buy this as a book. You could buy this as a novella online. The person I believe they they sell it online. You could buy a, a hard hard copy a paperback copy um or or digital copy or what whatnot or you could be like me and you could steal it online for free and then (gasps) read it on your podcast with your friend um i i like this a lot and i'm actually very excited about this um and i and i like the other story i'm reading with frowns right now the um the, the I dared my best friend to ruin my life and he's succeeding. I think that one is not nearly written as well, but the concept is hilarious and, and fun and exciting. Um, this is just as fun and exciting, but this is so much more me. This is uh, this is this is um. You said it. You said it best when you said be be horror. You know, be movie horror because I feel like. The guy who did, like, Reanimator or, like, From Beyond, like, the guy who directed those movies, like, early Peter Jackson, you know, like, when he was doing... Like King Kong. No. Like Lord of the Rings. No. no. I'm talking, like, Dead Alive. Like Star Wars. Like Frighteners. Okay. Peter Jackson. Yeah. Matrix. I fucking hate talking about movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm on the same page, I fucking hate it. Um... I feel I feel like this deserves to be a movie. This could be really fucking cool. Um, I think it's done very well, uh, and I cannot wait to read more. I give my life not for honor, but for you. And we're gonna keep bringing in my sin. There'll be no one else. And thanks for tuning in. Where can I keep bringing the soft <laughs> R&B from Django D all the way to your soft ears all night long? Thanks for listening to Lots of Pasta. Signing off, Django Phillips. Any bullshit you want to say real quick? Shout out to the haters. The haters are what keeping you going. Right. Buy buy this book online and <laughs> no then no haters listen and then, and then text me an image of the last like couple of pages so that I can spoil it and you have my number text me fuck it's off five, 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 you know they're just five, gonna five, message me fuck five. you <laughs> <laughs> email us at lpcaptaindeath at gmail dot com yeah do that or um you know go to our Facebook or go go to our Reddit. 
Shout out, we got a subreddit. Fucking come there and yell at us about stuff. Hell yeah. Anyway, this was uh, this was that that Sin Eater story part one. Shout out. Can we shout out other subreddits or no? Whatever, man. Go for it. Marijuana enthusiasts. We could have been smoking this whole time. What the fuck? What the fuck, man? Oak trees. I hate you. Maple. (laughs) Sycamore. Atlanta till we stand at the shore. At the shore.